Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. So good to see all of you here worshiping with us today. I would like to welcome all of you at our Creekside service, those of you at our Bonnie Oaks campus, North Ottawa, St. Elmo, and all of you worshiping online. I'm Tony Wallace, I'm one of the pastors here at Silverdale, and today I get the privilege to share with you God's Word. So this is what I encourage you to do. Go and take your Bibles and open up to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 2. Turn to Mark chapter 2, and you can also take out these Bible study outlines that we have for you. You can follow along and take notes as we study God's Word together. We are in a series called Follow Me. We are learning to follow Jesus Christ. This year, as I said, it's all about Jesus. We're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to learn about following Jesus. And from now all the way through Easter, we're going to be studying through the Gospel of Mark. And today, we're going to learn, how do you bring your friends to Jesus? How do you bring your friends to Jesus? Now, in the passage we're going to study today, Jesus is going to talk about our primary needs. Now, the word need is one of those words that we throw around. It's sort of a sloppy word that we use all the time. And, um, you know, we say we need something. And many times we don't really need it. We just sort of want it, right? I mean, as parents, you've probably experienced this. Your, your kids, your teenagers, have probably never come up to you and said something like this. They've probably never said, you know, mom and dad, I would really desire these new shoes, right? They don't say that. No, what do they say? They go, uh, mom and dad, I need these new shoes. And you look down at their leather encased feet and you go, you don't need anything, right? But the, no, they need it. And what happens is, if since you think you need it, then what happens? Okay, that becomes a need. And if your parents don't give you what you think you need, then you'll judge their parental love. Well, you don't love me, right? Because we think that we need that. Well, that's exactly what we do with God. We think we need certain things, and God doesn't always give us what we think we need. That's what we see in our text today. So let's look at it together. It's found in Mark chapter 2, beginning verse 1. Look at what happens. When Jesus again entered Capernaum, some days later, people heard that he was home. So many people were gathered together that there was no room, no more room, not even by the door, and he was speaking the word to them. Some people came to him bringing a paralyzed man carried by four men. Since they could not bring the man to Jesus because of the crowd, they dug through the roof above where he was. When they had made an opening, they lowered the stretcher on which the paralyzed man was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. But there were some experts in the law sitting there and thinking in their hearts, Why does this fellow speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins except God alone? 
Jesus immediately knew in his spirit what they were thinking this way within themselves. He said to them, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to tell a paralyzed man your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your stretcher and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up. Take your stretcher. Go home. At once, the man got up, picked up the stretcher, and went out in front of everyone. So they were all amazed and glorified God and said, we've never seen anything like this. Now, it's a very familiar story that we're studying today, and it has a lot of gospel implications. From this story, we're going to learn how to bring our friends to Jesus Christ, but we're also going to learn a great deal about the power of Jesus Christ. Now, we know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth, but his home base for his ministry was Capernaum. That's where he spent most of his time in the New Testament. Now, Jesus is this miracle man. He has healed already multitudes of people, and now the words come out that Jesus is now in Capernaum. Basically, you have the Capernaum communication network. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Well, he's in this house. And so all these people, they're coming to this house to see this miracle man, Jesus Christ. And the place was packed. It was, you know, it was basically standing room only. Nobody at the door, the windows. I mean, it's just, it's crowded. I mean, imagine a hippo in skinny jeans. That's how, no room, right? This is a crowded place. I can remember years ago, I was on a mission trip to Honduras. And um, I spoke one evening at this local church. And the place was packed. I mean, it was literally, it was standing room only. And even at the windows, you had people, two people deep in the windows. I mean, you could hardly breathe. It was so crowded. Well, that's the way this was. These, these people, they were so hungry to see Jesus. I mean, when, and, and there's a principle here. Whenever Jesus is in the house, things are going to happen, right? When Jesus is in the house, miracles take place. God shows up. I mean, it was electrifying. And so everybody's there to see Jesus. But I want you to notice that here's this large crowd, but there's really three groups in this crowd. And so I want us to look at these three groups today, and I want you to evaluate who you are. Which one of these three are you most like that's in the crowd that day listening to Jesus? So let's think about it. First group is this. Jot this down in your outline. Number one, first you have the curious, right? You have the curious. You got these individuals that, you know, they, they see that Jesus has been working and moving and, and they hear about Jesus and they're curious, right? They, they wanted to see a miracle. They've been hearing about it all around Galilee. They wanted to see it for themselves. And maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you've seen God work in the life of some other individual, and you're curious. You're like, I want to see. I want to I experience that for myself, right? And, and that's what happens. And, you know, maybe they heard about Jesus cleansing the leper. I mean, it was uncurable disease, and yet Jesus healed it. Maybe they heard about it because it just happened the previous, you know, Sabbath in the synagogue. Jesus cast out a demon from a man. That was a pretty dramatic moment. And so here they come. They're, they're sort of curious. What is Jesus going to do today? And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I hope that you come to church. And every time you come to church, you come with anticipation. You come with a spirit of expectancy saying, God, I want to meet with you. I want to see you. I want to experience you today. I hope that when you come to church, you're a different person when you leave than whenever you first became. Right? Because that's what we want to do. We want to meet with Jesus Christ. But here's the amazing thing. Jesus didn't give them what they thought their need demanded. 
Check it out. Look at what it says in verse 2. So many people were gathered together that there is no more room, not even by the door. And look at it. And he was speaking the word to them. Do you see it? They were there to see a miracle, and yet Jesus was doing what? He was speaking the word to them. Why? Because Jesus knew that the primary need that we have is the word of God. That's our primary need. You go, okay, what was he preaching? Well, most likely what we studied last week. You know, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The primary thing that you need is the word of God in your life. Why? Because the word of God will preach to you. The Word of God will spiritually diagnose your deepest issue. The Word of God will cut out the cancer of sin in your life. And so what does Jesus do? The first thing Jesus does, the primary thing Jesus does, is he teaches the Word of God to them. And it's the same way today. Have you come to hear God from the Word of God? You see, we got a problem in our land today that we have an entire group of preachers. We call them health and wealth preachers. And what do they do? They come and they talk more about, you know, the blessings of God and how you can experience the blessings of God rather than how you can learn to follow after God. They will talk about how you can have your best life now rather than how you can have eternal life in heaven, right? I mean, they'll talk about, you know, they'll stroke your ego, but they won't confront your sin, Can I just tell you, the American feel-good gospel that exists in so many churches today, it will tantalize you, but it will never transform you. We need the Word of God in our lives. This will confront us. This will change us. And, And so what does Jesus do? He primarily gives them the Word of God. Now, that may be where you're at. That maybe you've come to God, and God's not given you maybe what you think is most important. You think what you really need. And so what do we do? You know, maybe you prayed and God didn't answer the prayer the way you thought he should pray. And so what do we do? Just like our children, we begin to judge God and his love for us and his care for us based on our need. And since we think we have a certain need and maybe God doesn't meet that need the way we expect him to, we start thinking less of God. But my word to you today is, will you trust Jesus? Will you trust his word? Jesus will give you what you really need, but you've got to press into him and trust him. So the first group that was there in the crowd were, you know, the curious. And there's nothing wrong with being curious and seeking after Jesus Christ, okay? But there's a second group in that crowd, and this is one I really want us to focus on. It's this. I call them the concerned. This is the quartet of the concerned, these four guys. The rest of the crowd, they came to sort of see a miracle. These guys, they had heard about Jesus in the house, the miracle working of Christ. But what did they do? They came bringing somebody else. I love this story. Check it out. Look at it in verse 3. Bible says this. Some people came to him bringing a paralyzed man carried by four men. Since they could not bring the man to Jesus because of the crowd, they dug through the roof above where he was. When they had made an opening, they lowered the stretcher on which the paralyzed man was lying. Now, I love these, these guys. These four guys, they're scrappy. These four guys, they obviously love their friend. But what's interesting in this story is that nobody else is seen here bringing anybody else to Jesus. These are the only guys. Everybody else came that day for who? For themselves. See, the reason why we often don't bring people to Jesus is because we're so busy just thinking about 
ourselves, right? You know any self-centered people? You know self-centered people, they always talk about themselves. All their stories are about themselves. Their problems are about themselves. It's about themselves. And people that only think about themselves, they don't bring people to Jesus. Why? Because they only think about themselves. Now, these four guys, these guys, their concern was with somebody else. And so they brought their friend to Jesus. And so why? Well, I want you to see three principles from this text today. And I want you to jot it down. First reason why they brought their friend to Jesus is this. Number one, they were convinced Jesus was the answer. They were convinced that Jesus was the answer. Think about it. They would not have gone through all of this trouble if they didn't believe that Jesus Christ was the answer for this guy. I mean, I don't know how they were convinced. Maybe they knew the leper who was cleansed. I mean, this guy had a disease, and he was now an outcast. Jesus heals him. Now he's coming home. Maybe they, they knew the guy whose demon was, was cast out of him. I mean, it happened in a synagogue, place of worship. The guy went to Sabbath school every, you know, every week, but he was depressed. He was discouraged. He was negative all the time, right? And then Jesus cast a demon out of him. And then what happens? The guy's singing praises to Jesus all day long. And they're like, well, maybe Jesus can do that with our friend. So they go to their paralyzed friend, and they say, we want to bring you to Jesus. And he's like, you know, does that give us any hope? I mean, I mean, I can't even move. You think Jesus can do this? And what does he say? They say, we've never seen a man like this before. And so what do they do? They come to the house, but oh my goodness, the crowd's too large. There's no way they're going to bring this paralyzed man to see Jesus. And so what do they do? They're, do they quit? Do they give up? No. That leads to the second part about these guys. Jot this down. They did not let obstacles keep them from Jesus. They did not let obstacles keep them from Jesus. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. You're trying to follow God, and then something happens. A wall comes up, obstacles takes place, maybe a little negative criticism, whatever it may be. The natural tendency I have in my flesh is that whenever I'm trying to follow God and then I hit the wall, I'm just going to back away, right? And that's not the right thing to do. That's the tendency of the flesh. These guys right here, I mean, think about it. Here they come with this guy, and they can't get clear to Jesus. And so what do they do? They, they could have thought, you know what? You know, it's just too crowded today. We're, we may, let's just take you on home. Maybe some other day we'll get to see Jesus. Absolutely not. Can I tell you something? Your faith is always going to experience opposition. Always. If you decide, I'm going to live for Jesus, expect opposition. It's going to happen. The reason why we don't bring people to Jesus is because, I'll tell you why, it will inconvenience us. And I, I mean, I, I can't be sharing my faith with others. I mean, goodness gracious. I, I can't be building a relationship with some lost person. That's going to take some of my time, and, and it's going to inconvenience me. And Oh, you, you want me to you know, bring them to Jesus and invite them to church and, you know, build a relationship. I've got time for that. It's going to really inconvenience my comfortable lifestyle. And Oh, I, I, need to, I need to, you know, take time and love them into the kingdom of God. Oh my goodness, I can't do that. I, it's going to inconvenience me. The reason why a lot of us don't bring people to Jesus is because we let obstacles. We, we're going to be inconvenienced. These guys, that's not the way they thought. I mean, just, I, I just sort of imagine what was the conversation they had when they got to that house, right? I mean, there they are. They can't get in to see Jesus. One of them goes, hey, why don't we go up on the roof? What? Up on the roof? What good is that going to do? Jesus is in the house. What's good to go up on the roof? And he's like, well, no, what I mean is, is 
let's tear the roof off. And they're like, well, we can't do that. I mean, this vandalism, we can't be tearing up somebody's roof. This isn't our house. And so they're debating about it, thinking about it. And then finally one guy says, I don't see any other option. Let's do it. Our friend needs Jesus. Let's do it. And so imagine the scene on the inside, right? They're in the house. Jesus is teaching them. He's the most magnetic teacher that's ever taught. And everybody's just captivated on the edge of their seat. And all of a sudden you're, you're listening to Jesus and little dirt clods come, start coming down, right? I mean, remember, this is probably a thatch roof. This isn't like some kind of shingled roof like we have today. It's probably a thatch, straight roof, maybe, you know, covered with mud or sod. And so they begin to unroof the roof. That's literally what it says in Mark in the Greek. They unroof the roof, okay? And so there you are, and, and suddenly, you know, a dirt clod comes down, and, and there's another one over there, and it's hitting this guy and this guy, and there's Jesus dodges one. You go, whoa! And now, there's been times whenever I'm teaching and I get a little distracted, but man, this ain't like a little baby crying. This is the roof coming off, right? I mean, first, you know, you get to see a little streamer of light, and, and there's a giant whole thing. It's a hole big enough for a human to go through. This is huge. As, as authoritative as Jesus' teaching is, he's lost the crowd by now, right? And then they, they lower the man down. And what does Jesus say in verse 5? When Jesus saw their faith. Did you know that you can see faith? It's not just what you think. It's not just what you feel. Faith is lived out. It is actions. Faith without works is dead. If you got real faith, there's actions that back it up. Jesus saw their faith. They were not going to let any obstacles keep them from bringing their friend to Jesus. Okay? But there's a third reason they brought a friend to Jesus, and it's this. Jot this down. They didn't care what other people thought. They didn't really care what other people thought. So often we do. Well, I can't really share my faith with anybody. I mean, it may be embarrassing, or you know, if I tell my faith story to somebody, they're going to start calling me a Jesus freak. You know, I, I may lose a friendship out of this, and they may post some mean things about me on social media. Oh, no, I can't believe they would do that. Of course they're going to do that. If they hated Jesus, they're going to hate you and I, Right? These guys didn't care what anybody thought. They tore a roof off. I mean, they're, they're considered crazy, right? And yet, that's what they did. Nothing's going to stop them. So let me ask you, what is really stopping you from bringing your friends to Christ? What's stopping you? I'll tell you one reason, one thing that's stopping us, is that we really don't believe Jesus is the answer. And we look at our lost friends and we go, well, their life isn't perfect, but they're not all that bad. Maybe they don't need Jesus. Can I tell you something? Every person on this planet needs Jesus. They need Jesus. We all need Jesus. Or maybe, you know, because we're not experiencing the presence and power of Christ in our lives, it's hard for us to share what we're not experiencing personally. And so uh, we really don't share with others. Or, or maybe it's because, you know, at some point, you know, we were passionate followers of Jesus, but somewhere along the way, you know what, we got over Jesus. I hope you never get over Jesus. I've been following Jesus for almost 40 years. I, I'm as passionate today as I was when I first believed. Don't get over Jesus. Follow Jesus with all of your heart. That's what these guys are. They brought their fin, friend to Christ. And in this story, that's who we need to emulate. This is who we need to be like. So we got different groups, right? And you got the curious, you, you got the concerned, the compassionate friends, right? But there's a third group in this passage. Jot this on your outline. Let's look now at the cynical. The cynical. 
in the crowd that day, there were some cynical religious leaders. Check it out. They're critical of Jesus. Verse 6, it says, there were some experts in the law sitting there. Now, how are the religious leaders described? Sitting, right? It's standing room only, right? And what are they doing? They're sitting there. They're, they're, not, they're not there to bring people to Jesus. No, they want to keep people away from Jesus. Can I tell you? You are either bringing people to Jesus or by your life as a Christian, you're pushing people away from Christ. Do you know that a lot of non-believers will say, you know, I, I like Jesus, but I don't like Christians. And, and, you know, people like Mark Twain or Muhammad or Gandhi, they, they, they looked at the claims of Christ and believed, and then they said, but you know what? It can't be true because look at the Christians, right? I mean, Christians can keep people away from Jesus. The religious people that are in the house can keep people away from Jesus. And so what you're going to find, this is the beginning of a bunch of confrontations that Jesus is going to have with the religious leaders of his day. Now, up until this point, the most dramatic event has been what? Well, these guys tearing the roof off and lowering down this paralyzed man. But the most dramatic event is about to happen. Put on your seatbelts, look at it. It's found in verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, just imagine the crowd for a second. Everybody there that day, when the, you know, the roofs tore apart, they're laying down a paralyzed man, everybody there is expecting Jesus to say something like, son, stand up and walk, go home, right? But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't give them what they need. I mean, it would basically be like me going to the doctor with a broken arm and the doctor looking at me and saying, uh, son, your sins are forgiven, go home. And I'm like, whoa, time out, man. I got a broken arm. This is my primary need, right? And so here's Jesus Christ. And what does he do? He sees the horror of this man's paralysis. And Jesus is broken by that. I mean, think about it. Jesus is the creator. He's Lord God creator. And he hates the brokenness of his creation. But Jesus sees something greater in this man that he needs. I mean, obviously, his physical ailment was evident But his spiritual need was ultimate. And so Jesus looked beyond this man's need for physical healing. Because he was ravaged by something more than disease. He's ravaged by sin. And so what did Jesus do? Jesus addressed his greatest need. Jesus said, son, verse 5, your sins are forgiven. Can I just tell you something? There is something that you need more than being rid of your malady. You need to be reconciled with your maker. That's your greatest need, right? And so here's Jesus Christ. He's taking care of their greatest need. And so what happens? Verse 6. But there were some experts in the law sitting there and thinking in their hearts, why does this fellow speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins except God alone? Now, these are experts of the Scripture, right? And so they know certain things are true. And what are they? Number one, all sin is ultimately against God, right? As horizontal as our sin may be, ultimately all sin is against God. And since all sin is ultimately against God, then God alone is the only one who can forgive anybody any sins. And so Jesus claiming to forgive sins is blaspheming. He's claiming to be God. Make sense? I mean, think of it like this. Let's just say that you come to me and you say, Pastor Tony, would you please forgive me? I've committed adultery against my spouse. 
please forgive me. And I'd say, you know, I can forgive you, but that's not going to do you any good. You need to go to your spouse and be reconciled with your spouse and get their forgiveness. That's the one that you've offended, right? Let's say a teenager comes to me and says, you know, Pastor Tony, you know, I wrecked my dad's car. Would you please forgive me? I said, my forgiveness is not going to do you any good. You better go to your dad and be reconciled with your dad and get your dad's forgiveness. He's the one you've offended, right? And so Jesus doesn't correct them. He's not saying that God alone is the only one who can forgive, right? Because he is. But what Jesus is saying, look, you're saying that only God can forgive. I agree with that. But you're also saying that I'm not the son of God who has the authority to forgive. You're wrong about that. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is the son of God, and Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. You want a proof? He proves it. Look at it, verse 8. Jesus immediately knew in his spirit that they were thinking this way within themselves. He asked them, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? I mean, he's reading these guys' mind, right? Can I just tell you, don't try that at home. Now, a lot of us, we do try. We, we, we just imagine, we think we know what another person's thinking. We think we know the motives of other people. Anytime you start judging other people's motives and their intentions, you're not the Messiah, you're going to get it wrong, okay? But Jesus, he does. Jesus knows what we're thinking. And what does he do? He starts debating their thoughts. Check it out. Why are you thinking these things in your heart? You obviously question my ability to, you know, to forgive. So let me give you some empirical evidence. Check it out. Verse 9. Jesus says, which is easier, to tell the paralyzed man your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your stretcher and walk? Jesus is saying, you know what? Talk is cheap. Anybody could go around saying, you're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven. Anybody could say that, right? You can't deny it or prove it one way or another, right? But what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you evidence that I am the Son of God and that I do have the authority to forgive sins. So look what he does. Verse 10. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he says to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up. Take your stretcher. Go home. And at once the man got up, picked up the stretcher, and went out in front of everyone. Jesus said, I'm going to demonstrate my power. You go, how did that do that? Well, think of it this way. Here's a man who's ravaged by disease. He's paralyzed. He can't move, right? So what's going to happen? Jesus is going to prove that he is creator God. He's going to literally recreate this guy's body. Only God can do that. And the same God that can recreate this guy's body so that he can now walk is the same God who can say, you're forgiven of your sins. Can I just tell you something? You need to know this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus can forgive you of sins. Nobody else. You don't need to go to some priest for forgiveness of sins. You don't need, to, you don't need the Pope. You don't need a minister. You know what you need? You need Jesus. If you want forgiveness of sins, you need Jesus. You need to cry out to him, repent and believe the gospel, surrender and follow Jesus. And when you do, the Bible says you'll be forgiven of all your sins. So what was the final result? We'll look at it in verse 12. At once, immediate miracle, the man got up, picked up the stretcher, went out in front of everyone, so they were all amazed and glorified God. They said, we've never seen anything like this. The man walked out whole, and everybody else walked out amazed. Why? 
because Jesus was in the house and these four guys brought their friends to Jesus. Can I tell you, it happens today. Jesus is in the house and if you'll start bringing your friends to Jesus, we'll start seeing the same miracles we saw in the gospel. And so let me ask you a question. What's keeping you from bringing your friends to Jesus? Because it's time that we start doing that. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six-week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus's final words to his disciples in the upper room. They are about to enter the darkest moment in history, and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, there are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and apart. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.